So I think the best skill that any creative manager can develop today is the ability to connect dots, to synthesize knowledge into wisdom. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, and I'm really excited to share today's episode, where I got to sit down with Todd Henry. And for those of you who don't know Todd, he's a podcast host, an author, and an all-around expert on all things related to creativity. And I'm sure you know and you feel this every day, but in the B2B world, taking the time to really be creative and unleash your best ideas is really difficult. So during our conversation, we get into the heart of those key issues and problems that are plaguing a lot of businesses, um, how individuals and teams can combat them, and how managers and leaders within organizations can basically tackle all of the issues that are, are preventing teams from creating their best ideas and really encourage that culture of creativity and open thought. He has a lot of great wisdom and tactical insights and takeaways to share just based on all the conversations that he has had with creative leaders. So I think you'll get a lot of great insight from them. So with that, I'm going to stop talking and let you uncover the words and wisdom of Todd Henry. Todd, thanks so much for taking the time out. Alicia, it is so good to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. So um, before we dig into the heart of our conversation, we thought we would warm up a little bit by doing a bit of a speed round. Um, No rules. The only restriction, I guess, is that you answer as quickly as possible. You down? (laughs) I am down. All right. Awesome. First question. What would you rather have, more time or more money? Uh, um, I think more time. That's probably the answer most people give, but it legitimately is my answer. <laughs> All right, great. And what would you do with it? Uh, I think I would deepen my relationships. I think, you know, I feel like I'm often bouncing from task to task, obligation to obligation. I travel a lot for my work, and I think I would just use the extra time to really deepen my relationships. Love that. And if you can eat one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? All right. So I eat the same meal every single day. So I guess I have to answer that. I I, I make I, I eat a turkey burger and like sauteed vegetables every day for lunch for, wow. for a very, very long time. That's what I've had every single day. It's just like a predictable, easy go-to thing. So I guess probably that since that's what I've eaten every day for so many years. Yeah. It's, ba- it's basically you're already living it. So that's right. <laughs> what song uh, best describes your life? Um, the first thing that came to mind is Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Not that I love that song, but like that theme probably totally describes my life because I feel like I'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants so often. Great. Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook? What do you prefer? Uh, Instagram. Great. What creative trend are you most excited about? Ooh, um, I think I'm most excited about what I guess we could probably call like the democratization of tools. You know, you have all of these interesting tools like Canva that are becoming available to people. And it's just allowing, you know, it used to be like, okay, if you want to design, you have to go out and buy, you know, Adobe Illustrator or or Photoshop or something, you know, like these really high-end expensive tools. And now there's just, there's so much more available, which I think is is only going to be good for people who are trying to learn the craft of design. So, um, yeah, I think that's a trend I'm very excited about. Great. Which trend do you think is a fad? This is going to be controversial, but I think that social media as we know it right now is a fad. 
I think that we're going through a phase right now where everybody's very immersed in in these social media tools. And I think that uh, at some point, I think that we're going to sort of snap back into a different state. I think social media is going to look different in 10 years than it does now. Very interesting. What has been your proudest career moment so far? Uh, so my, my proudest is probably an event that I spoke at a couple of months ago called the Global Leadership Summit. I got to speak for uh, 405,000 people around the world, which was really fun. There were 10,000 people in the room, but they broadcast it to 405,000 people at, at remote locations. Um, but the reason it was the proudest moment is because my my family actually got to go with me. So for my kids to actually sit in a, a big you know arena with me speaking to 10,000 people about leading creative people. That was that was a pretty cool and pretty proud moment. And I have to say, they listened to me when I asked them to clean their room, at least for a couple of weeks after that. So uh, it, it earned me some dad cred too. I love that. And what's your uh, go-to pitch? It can be anything at all. So, all right. So this is my pitch for people, okay? Um, listen, you get one shot to build your body of work. That's it. So the question that I challenge people to ask is, are you building Every single day, are you spending yourself on what really matters to you or are you spending your one and only life building the body of work that other people expect from you? And I think if you ask that question consistently every single day, I think you can't help but build a body of work that you're proud of. I love that. And and it really underscores, I think, the nature of our conversation today, which is what what you live and breathe, the nature of your work every day, which is really rooted in creativity. And that that's why I find you to be such a captivating speaker and such a, a valuable author and, and thought leader. You really dig into this big conundrum that creative types struggle with every day, which is how do I create my best ideas and how do I do so in such a high pressure, go, go, go type environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm in marketing, I'm in content. That's <laughs> that's my everyday. Um, so I, I guess the, the big question is, how do you think, you know, the, the standard creative type, like the marketer, for for example, how, how do you think we're doing right now in, in balancing all of those demands and those expectations? Well, I think as you just mentioned, I mean, we're learning a fundamentally new way of working right? Um, over, let's call it the past couple of decades. I think that, you know, it's a real challenge because we have to create on demand every single day. You know, it's, we have this pressure to, hey, go make something great for me. And oh, by the way, can you have it to me on Wednesday morning on time, on budget, and preferably, you know, brilliant. (laughs) So that's a lot of pressure. And listen, no matter how long you've been doing something, no matter how good you are, no matter how experienced you are, no matter how deep of a well you're drawing from, you never know when that idea is going to be there or if it's going to be there when you need it. And so that's just a tremendous amount of pressure. And then you know, add to that, Alicia, that creative work is largely qualitative, not quantitative. So you know, at the end of the day, you can work on something and be really proud of what you do, but your stakeholders could say, eh, it's not really doing anything for me. Why don't you, you know, try again, try something else? And so I think that generally what I'm seeing is that people are piecemealing together solutions to help them better deal with the pressure or they are trying really hard to you know put teams of incredibly talented people together and and make a really good run at something but inevitably the problem is that inevitably you know if we don't have some practices some systems in our life and in our team rhythms to accommodate this create on demand dynamic Uh, even the most talented people are eventually going to run into a brick wall because we're not machines. I'm not a machine. You're not a machine. Our teams can't function indefinitely like like machines. Creativity is not an equal input, equal output 
offering, right? It's not like, oh, well, if I just predictably do these things, then ideas are going to be there. Uh, we have to have practices that prepare us, that till the soil, that allow us to cultivate ideas over the course of time and allow us to take care of ourselves. So I think we're getting, to answer your original question, uh, I think we're getting better at it, but I, I still see a lot of teams struggling with the pressure because one other thing is, you know, as we have access to more tools and especially tools of communication and, and new tools to help us do work more efficiently, um, instead of saying, hey, that frees up more time for us to spend doing creative work. Instead, we just say, well, great, now we can cram more work into our life, into our schedule, right? And so um, these very tools that are supposed to liberate us actually end up making us even more stressed um, than we were before. So I think we're getting better, but I do think that organizations need to be mindful of how they're structuring themselves and their expectations and their systems to accommodate the create-on-demand nature of their employees work. Mm -hmm. and, and what's your take on, you know, this very meeting driven lifestyle that we're living in? I'm already going off the script. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I feel like what's what happens sometimes is, you know, again, there are so many different pieces to the puzzle. There are so many different campaigns and initiatives we need to get yeah. out the door. And part of that requires meetings and collaborating. But then it kind of makes you squeeze that creative heads down time that you may need to kind of clear your head and work through all the details and come up with those ideas. So, I mean, is, is there an answer to that very, again, meeting-driven culture that we're living in? Do you th see companies starting to try and find alternative solutions or, or or veer away from that? Like, what's what's happening there? Yeah, so there's a great, I would, there's a great essay by a guy named Paul Graham who's a Silicon Valley guy. And uh, the essay is called Maker's Schedule, Manager's Schedule. And I would, I would encourage anyone listening to go and read that essay. But basically he talks about, you know, one of the benefits of being a manager is that you can call speculative meetings. You know, uh, part of the way you add value to the organization is I'm going to call a meeting and we're all going to talk about the work that we're going to do, which is fine, except for the makers who are sitting in that meeting, they're thinking, I have, I still have to do the work we talked about in your last meeting, right? I'm still like, well, I'm sitting here in this meeting. I have a bunch of work on my desk that I still need to get to right now. And so I think as managers, we have to understand that every meeting that we call has to be precise. It has to have a specific desired outcome. It has to be exactly as long as it needs to be to accomplish that. And only the people who absolutely must be in the room to add value to the meeting should be in the meeting. You know, I think sometimes managers err on the side of including everyone because they want people to feel welcomed and included and they don't want to exclude people and they want to make sure that everybody feels like part of the team and they're on the, you know, or maybe there's one three-minute bit of relevant information they're going to need for their for their project later. Um, but they have to sit there for 45 minutes to get that little three-minute bit of information. I think we have to be very careful in doing that. Uh, instead, I recommend that people, listen, why don't you experiment with 17-minute meetings in your organization, right? Who decided meetings are 60 minutes long? Is it Google or Microsoft? Like whoever your calendar, calendaring solution is? Um, you know, Experiment with you know 17-minute meetings. Experiment with cutting your meetings to the bone and only inviting the absolute, absolutely essential people to the meeting. And then you can start adding people back in from time to time as you need to. But you know, my recommendation is that we make sure that we are recognizing not just the cost of those meetings in terms of what we're paying 
for people to be there because we're paying their salary while they're sitting in the meeting. But the cost of the meeting in terms of lack of productivity organizationally or stress and burnout that they cause within the ranks of our organization. You know, many managers have reflected to me, I don't understand why my team is so burned out all the time. And I, I want to tell them like, it's because your team sits in meetings from 8.30 to 4 every day and then they have to go home and do their work. They're doing their work from 8 to 11 at night because they don't have time to do it during the day because they're sitting in meetings all day. So I think we just have to be very mindful of what of the real cost of meetings. And my recommendation is cut to the bone and then you can always build back from there. But um, just try to be very mindful and selective. Don't call meetings because you're trying to prove your worth as a manager. Only call them because there's some specific defined outcome. And then once we have accomplished that outcome, great, meeting's over, see you. And by the way, Chit chat is for lunch. Chit chat is for coffee breaks. Chit chat is for some, you know, but make sure that when you have a meeting that you're honoring the purpose of the meeting, not sitting around talking about your weekend or whatever. I mean, that's fine. It's good to have team building moments, but um, you need to really honor the, the people who are in the room and honor the, the time that they're sacrificing to be in that meeting. I love that. So it's answers like that that make me feel good, like we're going in the right direction. And also there's a bit of a movement happening now with the... Um, meetings that could have been an email yeah. meme that's kind of happening right now in the professional world. So I think everyone is attuned to these issues because they're living them every day and they're frustrated by them. So hopefully, you know, other leaders, um, managers will, will kind of take note. And I, I love that you kind of hit these these key underlying issues, right? The, the creative realities, but also the, you know, we need to create a culture fueled by our leadership and our managers that encourages that creativity. And you kind of alluded to that in your last response. And that's really the basis of your latest book, Herding Tigers, which is essentially, you know, addressing how do we encourage our employees to create their best work possible? And what do we we need to do in order to empower them and give them the time and resources they need to do that? So I guess my, my question for you is, you know, there are so many complexities in how to make that happen, right? And, and there are also so many stakeholders, especially looking at it through the lens of B2B organizations, a lot of a lot of players, a lot of a lot of voices, you know, coming in through the megaphone. I guess my question for you is, you know, what's holding organizations back the most? Because you you speak with a lot of business leaders and a lot of different types of companies. So wondering if there are some overlying issues there. Yeah, I think one of the things that really holds leaders back, is, especially, and by the way, this goes to issues of retention and hiring and cultivating talent and keeping your talent engaged and you know, fully productive, because it's one thing to have talented people on your team. It's another thing when that person is surfing for other jobs while they're supposed to be doing their work, you know, or, or, you know because you yeah. haven't figured out how to lead them appropriately. So I would say one of the things that's holding us back is we don't understand what highly talented, creative people really need from us. And there are two things, I think, fundamentally that talented, creative people need from their organization, specifically from their manager. The first one is stability. You know, there's this myth that creative people just want complete freedom. Don't fence me in, you know, just give me wide open boundaries. But you know, as a, as a writer, Alicia, you know that complete freedom is not helpful creatively, right? You need some boundaries. You need objectives. You need a brief. You need something to bound your creativity or else, you know, you're just going to like, 
they'll tell you to write a, some copy or a marketing email or something like that. And, you know, you, you come back with a novel. You know? It's like, well, wait a minute. No, that's not what we were going for. Um, you need boundaries. You need a brief. You need direction. So creative people need stability. Orson Welles once said, the absence of a limitation is the enemy of art. If we want to produce our best work, we need some bound, a bounding arc, some limitations. That means clarity of process, clarity of expectations. That means a, a process that isn't shifting midstream. You know, this happens very often where maybe a manager isn't getting buy-in at critical moments in a project from, from their boss's boss or from whoever else is a stakeholder. And so you get, you know, a couple of weeks into a project and everybody's been working on it. And then somebody swoops in and says, yeah, that's not really working for me. Well, that conversation should have ha happened a week and a half ago before we spent hours or dozens of hours working on this. And so that's one element of stability. You know, we have to create clarity of process organizationally to make sure that people have a predictable field within which to, to do their best work. But the second thing creative people need is challenge. Creative people want to be pushed. They want to try new things. They want to experiment. They want to take risks. They want to go to the edges of their abilities. And so when we have an environment that is largely a production environment or where you tell people basically, hey, just do what you did last time, maybe tweak it a little bit, but just you know, crank out what you did last time, that's not very motivating to the average talented creative person. So we have to find the right mix of stability and challenge for not just for our team as a whole, but for each individual. That means managers have to know their team members. They have to understand the right level of stability for that person and the right level of challenge. When you get that right, they thrive. When you have an environment of high challenge but low stability, which is where a lot of organizations live, you know, they're they're trying to build the bicycle as they're as they're riding it kind of thing. You know, team members get angry, they get frustrated because we don't have the support systems necessary to undergird our efforts, our, our ambitions. And so people burn out pretty quickly. And we're all going to go to that place from time to time where we're trying to do more than we can and we're stretching ourselves and all that. That's fine. But you need to recognize as a manager, we can't live in that place for very long. I have to instill some systems, some predictability so that my team has what they the, the stable playing field they need to do their best work. And, you know, of course, then when we have low stability or I'm sorry, low challenge, but high stability, people get bored, you know, like you're just doing basically production work. I'm just cranking out the same thing over and over again. Well, that's not very motivating to talented, creative people either. So it's when we get that right mix of stability and challenge for, for the individuals on our team that people really, really come alive. I love that, Todd. And I think, you know, finding that sweet spot with all of those factors is, is really important because that kind of allows you to manage that tug of war between the creativity and the day-to-day -day requirements, right. right? Like, so you can kind of check all the boxes, meet the deadlines, get the campaigns at the door, but still encourage that freedom and that creativity that they need to stay engaged in their work. Am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. No question. And, and listen, I understand that as a manager, you also have infinite numbers of pressures that, that you are facing, you know, expectations that are layered upon you, your own problems you have to solve. But if you manage a team of people, you have to recognize your job is the people. <laughs> your job is not to do the work. Your job is to lead the work if you're managing a, a team of creative people. So as a manager, your job is to make sure that your team is set up to be able to produce work. As a manager, as a leader, you're, you're not measured by the brilliant work you produce. You're measured by the brilliant work you enable other people to produce, right? That's really what you're, you're, you're doing. And so, you know, a lot of people, managers struggle with control. They want to step in and control every element of the work. But when you do that, you're, you're not allowing your team to step into the full 
capacity that they are capable of filling organizationally. So, you know, you, your job, your job is the people, your job is developing them, unleashing them, establishing expectations for them, you know, helping them shape their skills, certainly offering your vision, your, your point of view, helping them with the work for sure when they, when they need help with something or shaping it, especially if they're inexperienced. But your job is to create an environment in which they can produce their best work. And when organizations do this, they scale really, really well because you're not just, you know, if you're, if you're controlling the work as a leader, if you're stepping in and you're micromanaging every decision, the organization will never scale beyond you. You know, you, you have to have your eyes on everything. Well, that's a recipe for burnout for you as a leader as well. Not to mention the fact that the organization is not going to be able to take on more work because you only have so, so much time in the day. So that's one thing we have to recognize as managers is that our job is not to do the work, it's to lead the work, to make sure that we're unleashing the people on our team to bring their best effort every day. That's great, Todd. And I have to say, I feel partially attacked because I am a creative type, but I'm also a Virgo. So I'm very strategic and very detail-oriented and a a bit controlling. So this is a bit of an exercise for me to be able to hear this and be like, okay, I need to kind of (laughs) take a step back a little bit. But but listen, that's great. And I just want to encourage you that that detail-oriented nature can be very, very helpful uh, in managing and in helping shape and define the direction of the work, right? So, and especially, you know, most of us aren't pure makers or managers. Most of us are what I would call a makeager, right? We're mm-hmm. we're somewhere in between where we're kind of doing some of the work, but we're also leading a lot of the work. You know, my question for people in that role is, are you controlling all of the work or are you allowing other people to own some of the work and, and you're leading it and you're shaping, you're guiding it, but you're really controlling the work that you're directly responsible for. So I think that's an important distinction too, that we do. I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, we don't have infinite resources to hire as many people as we need. So most of us are, are pulling double duty. Mm-hmm. Well, this is great. And I, I think a lot of this lends itself well to my, my next question for you, which was around the evolving skill sets for an effective manager in this new world and this new climate that we're in. Of course, you know, the mixture of hard and soft skills. I feel like it's changing, especially like I've been in the space for about only 10 years and like just within that time, it's changed so much. So you've touched on, you know, that that blend of creativity and strategy, but also giving people the power, the ability to take a step back. I mean, what what other skill sets are required today to be an, an effective manager, especially because creativity, I feel like, is really in the spotlight right now. Like even in B2B, yeah. it's how creative is your brand? How compelling is your content? What stories are you telling? So, I mean, what, right. what are you seeing from that standpoint? So the, the leader, the manager is the chief dot connector. So what I believe is the the killer skill for any manager right now is the ability to to spot and synthesize patterns that are going on, whether it's in your industry, maybe it's within your team, uh, maybe it's within a specific project that you're working on. You know, hey, I heard this person say this a couple of weeks ago, and you just said this yesterday. And those two things are related, and maybe we should combine those and see if there's something there. That's I think that's the number one skill that creative leaders need to develop. Uh, in this new world, because listen, we have, we are inundated with noise. I mean, there is so much noise coming at us every single day. D. Hawk, the founder and chair emeritus of Visa, the Visa Corporation, talked about how we basically, our minds are wired to turn noise 
into data and data into information and information into knowledge. And knowledge is basically synthesized information where it's like actually actionable, you know? But he said, knowledge is where most people settle. What we really want to do is turn knowledge into wisdom. Wisdom is when we're able to see around corners. It's when we're able to spot patterns that other people can't see yet because we're thinking systemically. So I think the best skill that any creative manager can develop today is the ability to connect dots, to synthesize knowledge into wisdom, which by the way, takes time. It takes study. It takes intentional effort. It takes paying attention. It takes deep introspection. It takes breaking away from the noise long enough to think and to maybe even journal. Or that's why why we're seeing a lot of significant leaders uh, embracing the practice of meditation. You know, this isn't just spiritual woo woo. You know, whatever. Like there's there is a, a really practical side of meditation, which is that it allows you to break away from the noise for a while, become centered, and it allows patterns to synthesize. It allows you to begin to get in touch with your intuition in a way that you can't when you have so much coming at you. So I think the killer practice for leaders today is to discipline yourself to break away consistently, you know, an hour in the morning or an hour in the evening or maybe over your lunch break, break away, spend time by yourself, no stimulus, no noise, no anything, and just really hone your ability to connect dots and to get in touch with your intuition. You'll be really surprised at the patterns that form and the kinds of gut instincts that sort of rise to the surface when, when you dedicate time to doing that. This is great. And and do you think a lot of these traits align with a, a lot of the folks that you've spoken with on your podcast? I mean, you, you've spoken with everyone from entrepreneurs to more creative pros, but I'm sure they instill a lot of these behaviors or, or try to prioritize, you know, the, the these elements in their day-to-day lives. But I mean, is there anything else that rises to the top? Again, you've probably had so many conversations, but any patterns that you're like, aha, like this is like the thread that connects them all like these are the behaviors and the priorities that you know they they make center in in their day-to-day lives right yeah so yeah i mean i've i've spoken with um i think boy i think i've probably done wow probably over well over a thousand episodes of the podcast now over the last 15 years uh 10 million or so downloads of the podcast and i'd say probably one of the things that i have really i think one of the dots that i've connected between all of the people that I've interviewed who have been successful and not just successful from a marketplace standpoint, but I would say are actually living a successful life and building a successful body of work is that they all have practices or they all have routines in place to support their ambitions. So, you know, we hear a lot about people who talk about, you know, hustle and, you know, you got to just, you know, completely spend yourself, leave it all on the field. Well, I, I believe that there are definitely seasons for that. I think there are seasons for I'm going to sprint and absolutely just give it everything I've got. But the question is, do you have any time in your life when you're breaking away to take care of yourself, to tend to the machine, right? To make sure that the machine is going to be ready to go tomorrow because you also have to sprint tomorrow. And so what I've discovered is that all of these people who are highly successful and and successful in a holistic sense have practices or routines in place to support their ambitions. So things like study, I mentioned earlier, most of the great leaders I've interviewed have time dedicated to studying. Most of the great leaders that I've talked to have a, a core group of people that they spend time with consistently who have seen them for a very long time over a long period of time who are who have freedom to speak into their life and say, hey, I see you doing some stuff right now that I don't understand. Let's talk about that. 
Why did you make that decision? Why did you make this career move? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? They, they give other people permission to speak into their life so that they have some checks around them. Um, and, and they've given pre- people permission to do that. They get adequate sleep. They try, you know, again, we, we, we sort of mythologize and celebrate this, you know, I'm up till one in the morning getting up at 5.30 to run my half marathon before I, you know, take a shower and read half of Plato's Republic before I go into work and work until nine o'clock that night. I mean, that's kind of like, we hear people like celebrating that lifestyle, but you know, most of the people that I've talked to who are successful in the holistic sense, they have real disciplines around their sleep and around their eating and around their exercise. And they recognize that to be able to bring themselves creatively, your mind and your body are, are operate like one unit. And so to bring yourself creatively, you need to have adequate sleep because sleep is when your memories are formed. You know, sleep is when a lot of those patterns begin to synthesize. Um, they recognize that exercise is healthy for your brain. And so if you have a healthy body, you're more likely to have a healthy brain, healthy brain functioning. Um, you're going to have more energy. So that that's one thing that I've seen among all of them is that they have these kind of holistic practices in place to help them take care of their whole self and to make sure that they're prepared to, to not just to you know squeeze out a little more energy and more uh, productivity today, but that they're preparing themselves for the long haul that is the marathon of creative work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's fascinating because I've seen a real shift in perspective of the hustle, right? I mean, mm. sure, like you said, there's a time and a place for that. But a lot of folks are are coming to the forefront saying that if if you want this to be a scalable, ongoing part of your life, you, ne- you need to set some boundaries, right? We're, we're kind of glorifying this whole notion of just tiring ourselves out. But now there's more research around the power of you know, breaking away from your office and taking right. a walk um, like Ariana Huffington does walking meetings. I mean, right. so we're, we're hearing little blips of that, but hopefully it'll be more central um, to the workplace. But I, I have to ask, I mean, these are great underlying principles and, and things to carry through in our day to day. But have you had, you know, a, a huge aha moment or great nugget of wisdom that, that you've ever received from a specific guest or a few guests that you're like, oh, geez, like I should I should really take a step back and, and think about this or revisit it. I'm, I'm curious to see what, what has stuck with you over the years. That is a great question. Um, so probably my favorite guest, it would be a surprise to anyone, my favorite guest, and he's been on the show many, many times. Um, and I always really enjoy our conversations, um, both on the show and, and off is um, Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Seth is just one of those guys that just has an ability to speak, almost like speak in sound bites that just like pierce you. When he, when he says something, you're like, how did you distill that into five words? It would have taken me three weeks to express what you just said in five words. And he, uh, you know, really the, the core of his last book, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, the core of his last book was this bit of advice that he said. It was, um, you cannot be seen unless you learn to see, right? And I think that is so profound for marketers. It's profound for anyone doing anything. Like as a father, you know, I'm a father of three of three children. You know, like if I want my children to really see me and know me, I have to aspire to know them first. You know, if you're a marketer, if you want people to pay attention to what you're doing, you have to see them. You have to know them. You have to have empathy for them. Not just oh yeah 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 I get it. No, you have to put yourself in their position. You have to really understand the world from their perspective. Um, if you if you expect them to see you and know you. And I think so much of marketing and so much of really, frankly, just business in general comes down to empathy. 
I think those who are most empathetic, those who express the most empathy, whether it be through their brand, through their marketing, um, you know, through their sales messages, through their you know, customer interactions, those who exhibit the most empathy are the ones who are most likely to win. They're the ones who inspire loyalty among customers. They're the ones who people go out and champion with their friends, with their peers, because people want to be known. And so that's probably the best advice I think I've received. It's just you can't be seen unless you learn how to see. You're not going to be known unless you learn how to know others. I love that, Tan. And it really distills, I think, a lot of the calls to action that that have been coming up in, in the B2B world because it's such a technical space, um, sometimes very complex. And it's like, okay, well, how do, how do we get creative with this? Or how do we show that empathy in, in a way that resonates with our audience? Um, so, so I guess, you know, before we close out our conversation, what do you say to the folks who feel like that? Like they're in an industry or a category where they can't express that empathy or that creativity that has be, has been really the cornerstone of our conversation today. Yeah. So, um, so a couple of years ago, uh, I was invited to come in and help uh, be the creative lead, sort of lead lead creative strategy on the rebranding of a of a multi billion dollar part of uh, a much bigger company. But this was a multi billion dollar um, part of a of a company and. It was a very technical company and a very technical division of that company. And what we kept saying throughout these strategy conversations was behind every single marketing message, on the other end of every single marketing message that we send or every single thing that we say is a human being just trying to do their best. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we need to get the technical specifics right because th that's a credibility issue. And yeah, we need to make sure that we're accurately portraying the power of this thing that we're trying to, to communicate about. Absolutely. No question. But recognize that on the other end of that, there's, there's a person thinking, I have to get this right or I'm going to lose my job. This is really complex. I don't know if I fully understand this because it's highly technical and highly complex. There are so many moving pieces here. My boss's boss's boss is about to promote my manager and I don't know who's going to take their place. Maybe I should, you know, there are all these things this person's thinking. So let's get inside the mindset of that person first and understand their world. What are the pressures that they're facing? You know, what kinds of, what kinds of messages would be reassuring to them about choosing us versus choosing a competitor? You know, and that was where we started. And so I think that really gets to the heart of this empathy thing. If you can enter into the world of your potential customer, I don't care how technical your product is or how, how technical it is, at the, at the bottom of everything is human behavior. And that includes you know, fear and insecurity and also hope and aspiration and all these things. If you can figure out what are the fears of my potential customer, um, you know, what, what are the things that they're most concerned are going to happen or they're going to get wrong? And what are their aspirations? You know, what would thrill and delight them? Like what would just make their day? If you can begin to answer those questions, not from your perspective, but from from their perspective, man, you are so far down the road toward crafting something that's going to be compelling from a marketing or a branding standpoint. That's great, Todd. Um, so uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to, to chat with me today. Um, I think this only scratches the surface of all the great things that you're going to be sharing with us at B2BMX this year. You're one of our, our keynote presenters, which we're very excited about. But before I, I let you go, I, I always try to ask, you know, creative types like yourselves, authors uh, like, like yourself, what their favorite books are. You know, our, our audience is always looking for the next great podcast or an inspiring book to read. I mean, what, what book specifically really rises to the top for you? 
Oh, okay. So I'm going to give you one that's kind of down the middle for uh, the space we're talking about. And I'm going to give you one that's kind of a little bit askew to that, if that's okay. Perfect. The down the middle one is a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball by Gordon McKenzie. So Gordon McKenzie was, um, he's, he's since passed on, but he was the, uh, basically like the global creative director for Hallmark. And um, he wrote an entire book about how as creative, as creative professionals, we have to deal with the bureaucracy of our organizations. We have to treat it kind of like a hairball, uh, you know, and, and we need to orbit the hairball and draw from the resources of the bureaucracy, draw from the resources of the hairball, but not get sucked into it. And so he wrote an entire book about how to do that as a creative professional. And it's really fun. It's entertaining. It's mostly picture-based, you know, with like some chapters. Like one entire chapter is Orville Wright did not have a pilot's license. Like that's the entire chapter. And I said, that's so brilliant, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, so it's stuff like that. So I really, really love that book. Also, um, The Art of Possibility by Benjamin and Rosamund Zander. These are both books that are just primarily about like how to really get outside of your comfort zone as a, as a creative pro. Um, obviously, Steve Pressfield's books, uh, The War of Art and Do the Work. And, you know, all of those are, are brilliant. I already mentioned Seth Godin. Um, but kind of the, the, the book that's probably influenced me the most has kind of become my companion is a book by a guy named Thomas Merton, who was a, a Catholic mystic and monk back in the mid-1900s, cloistered outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And he just, he wrote some of the most profound stuff about life and creativity and art. He didn't mean to, he was writing about spirituality, but he wrote some amazing stuff about uh, life and creativity and art. And one of my favorite passages, I'm going to see if I can get it verbatim, but he said, um, there can be an intense egoism in following everyone else. People are in a hurry to magnify themselves by imitating what is popular and too lazy to think of anything better. Hurry ruins saints as well as artists. They want quick success and they're in such a hurry to get it, they cannot take time to be true to themselves. And when the madness is upon them, they justify their haste as a species of integrity. So basically he's saying like, we want quick success and we'll sell ourselves out to get it. But in the long run, we're selling ourselves out to get it. And there's no way that that trade-off is worth it. So um, the book is mm -hmm. just full of gems like that. Again, it's called New Seeds of Contemplation. What a profound way to end our conversation, Todd. This has been a real treat. Like I said earlier in our conversation, um, equally inspiring and thought-provoking and a little challenging, but I'm up for the challenge. Good. Um, th thank you again so much for uh, taking the time. And again, very excited to uh, see you on stage in Scottsdale. Thank you, Alicia. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2BPOD. That's B2BPOD. We hope to see you there.